on July 7th, it was my privilege to talk to Jim Fisher, who's been at Second City for over 50 years, and Jim Stahl, who's been there only 48. Hey, and do you remember uh, your first time that you ever watched television? Actually, yes. When we dragged one into the dining room to watch Kukla, Fran, and Ollie, I believe, on WGN. Okay. And um, what were your comedy influences at that, or did you have any at that time? Uh, that time, uh, I mean, Jerry Lewis I, was an influence, I think, from all those movies. So that would probably be my main influence when I was young. Okay, and you uh, went, you went to college. Yes, I did. I, I don't have to. Sometimes you don't. And where did you go? Yes, I went to Grinnell College in Grinnell, Iowa. Okay. And graduated with a bachelor's degree in, uh, okay, what's the BA? Right. <laughs> and then I went to uh, postgraduate school at the University of Kansas to become a city manager. Okay. And mm-hmm. what brought you to Second City? Well, when I was at Grinnell College and getting ready to become a city manager at the University of Kansas, there was uh, two other college roommates, and I had a group called the Groom Brothers, which did sketches and funny songs. And uh, we performed in various venues. And at one point, I started taking some of the classes at Second City, the training center with Joe Forsberg. And that led to them having me do the children's show. And from the children's show, they then said, why don't you come in and work with the main stage company and be an understudy? So I understudied all of David Steinberg's parts. Okay, it's funny. I learned comedy timing from doing David's material. It's funny because I saw a sketch on YouTube, uh, This Was Your Life. With uh, you do with blue, and I'm looking at you, and the haircut looks like a young David Steinberg, and I'm like, eh, it kind of looks like David Steinberg, but without that Canadian accent. Uh, yeah, Bernie Salen said I was going to be the next David Steinberg. <laughs> okay, now, uh, Mr. Stahl, what about you? Uh, where were you born, and what year? I was. Uh, see, I'm from Arlington Heights. Illinois, okay. and uh, we'll skip the year. Mm-hmm. I went to the University of Illinois, and uh, that's where I was. Uh, Champaign-Urbana? Pardon me? Champaign-Urbana? Urbana-Champaign, and yeah. I was a theater arts major with a uh, communication, TV communication minor. And uh, I was trying to decide. It was the it was the time of the Vietnam War, and trying to keep your student deferment. So I was going to transfer. I didn't know what I wanted to do for one more year. I was actually thinking about going to London to study with Dane Pickers Guild, the London Academy of dramatic art and I got a letter of recommendation and I was actually accepted 
uh, truth be told. So the London Academy of Dramatic Art, not the Royal Academy. Okay. This is <laughs> the London Academy, you know. <laughs> this is like the community college version. I, 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 shouldn't, I shouldn't be uh, 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 undermining a very, very fine school. I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious. But then I was told, well, if you go over there, you lose your student deferment. And uh, I was in a play. I was in Hamlet, and this uh, this girl said to me after the show, "You know, you're funny. You you should go to Second City in Chicago. I know some people there." And I was thinking, "Wait a minute! I was doing Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> you're funny. You should you should go to Chicago." So I actually uh, I had known about Second City, and then I actually went and. Uh, went to the show I went to the live show and I um, and I saw JJ Barry and Martin Harvey Freeberg and uh, probably Patty uh, no who was the girl that was there uh, that, that, that wasn't Lynn Lipton was Lynn Lipton uh, and or who was the one that did all the voiceovers um, I that I thought uh, and who else is in there? Uh, oh, uh, Bert, uh, Bert Heyman. I'm trying to think of who else was there. And I was watching the show with my high school buddy, Don DiPolo. And we were watching the show. And then they did a set of improvisations. And Don DiPolo and I looked at each other and we went, I want to do this. <laughs> so I was actually trying to talk Don into joining Second City. And he said, well, Jim, you do it first. <laughs> um, so I transferred to the University of Illinois Chicago campus for my fifth year enrolled in workshops with Joe Forsberg and uh, really loved it and then she like I say so I'm following in the footsteps of Fisher she said uh, well I have this children's theater you want to come on Sunday Sunday the little bastards fun day Sunday. Uh, was as Fisher could do the song because his show did it. Uh, so she said, you know, it's children's theater and and I'll pay you. And so that was my first paying gig, five dollars a show. I remember that. Wow, I got paid to perform. This is great. <laughs> so then I was in the uh, I was in the workshops for a while, and then there was uh, I think what happened was Fisher's company on block practically his touring company went into the resident company and then word went out well they're having auditions for the touring company the new touring company so i auditioned and i got into the touring company and uh while in the touring company uh bernie came to me and said uh, oh we need can you be the understudy they're demanding yeah everyone is demanding a vacation <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Second City, I don't think they had vacations or paid vacations. So someone, someone, were you the equity deputy? Well, we were, we were the company that made Second City join equity. Very good. Yeah. So, so you guys made Second City join equity. This is, this is, these, these are, uh, this, this is like, uh, you know, these are uh, historic moments. So they joined equity, uh, 
And equity said, oh, yeah, you, you have to give them a vacation. So I was the understudy for all the men. And they were the cast back then would be five men and two women. So I had to learn everybody's parts. And uh, I do remember, like I, I started out, I forget. It was probably uh, Joe went on vacation first. And then probably Harold Ramis. And then I think it was Fisher. And I think about that third week, I remember lights went out <laughs> and I came on stage, lights come up and Eugenie's standing there and she looks at me and goes, stop, wrong scene. <laughs> the lights go up. I go off stage. <laughs> she stays on stage and they just have the scene. But uh, that was like some of my awakening there at Second City. So I was sort of the understudy guy. I was the, I would go in and out of, of Fisher's resident cast. Uh, and eventually, uh, his cast sort of all like a diaspora. They were blowing away one at a time, picked off to go to Hollywood or do other things. So I, my resident company, primarily, again, from the touring company with uh, Betty Thomas and Ed Ryerson and David Rashi and Bill Murray and John Candy. Uh, that was my first uh, resident company at Second City. Right, that's what I have uh, for Fish. It was you, Harold Ramis, Brian Doyle Murray, Joe Flaherty, and John Belushi? Yeah, eventually uh, no. uh, Belushi joined us, but it was uh, David Bloom was in the original cast. Okay. And for Jim, also, I had Candy, Murray, Dave Thomas, Aykroyd. Betty, Betty Thomas. Oh, Betty Thomas. I just put Thomas. Uh, okay. And uh, um, Tino Insana. Tino Insana. How could I forget Tino Insana? Right? Tino Insana, David Rashi, Bill Murphy, Johnny Candy, yours truly. Um, we might have had Cassandra Dans mm -hmm. uh, there with Betty Thomas, and then Cassandra would be replaced by Annie Wright. That sound right? Or was it uh, Annie uh, Betty Thomas replaced Cassandra Dance? Betty Thomas replaced Cassandra Dance. Oh. Cassandra would go back to New York, and she'd be on the Regis Film and show, and she would do silliness like that. El Grande, the Coca Cola. And Betty Thomas was different than all the other women before her, I've read, because she was more of a, what's the way to say? She was definitely women's lib. Yeah. And uh, and very tough and, you know, uh, take no prisoners. That's why we love Betty. And she's a great director. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent director. So really, the, best, the best understudy story was when I nearly passed out from mononucleosis, remember? At the end of the first act, and Fred Kaz, to his credit, ran and saw if something was wrong, and they got iced the back, and they're going, who's gonna do the second act? And they called Mr. Stahl. And what's funny was I was home uh, having dinner with the, uh, 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 co-producer of Second City, Joyce Sloan. And Joycey, you know, we're having dinner and the, my phone rings and I, I apologize to try and get the phone. I, it's a theater. They want me to come over and do the second act. Fisher, Fisher collapsed. 
no, go over there. <laughs> so I went over and, and with the, I guess the audience must have suspected something because there was this guy named Jim that was short and now there's this guy <laughs> named Jim who's very tall. <laughs> I expected I expected to get an acting award for <laughs> the best change between act one and act two. <laughs> Seems like um, a lot of fun, though. It seems like a lot of fun. It was. It was definitely, definitely a lot of fun. Um, well, coming, and, and I liked. Now, see, we we followed uh, in the footsteps of Fisher's cast, which we liked, uh, and he was following in the footsteps of like the Steinberg cast. I mean, we would take audience suggestions at the end of the regular show and then write them all down, go backstage, take a break, look at the suggestions and go like, Hey, you know, somebody suggested things that go bump in the night, you know, uh, anybody have an idea, you know, what about this? What about, and then people would come up and they would do ideas and things. Um, and that's how we would generate our show. I do remember one night, Fish, when, uh, I don't know why, there was some kind of suggestion like, like uh, I don't know, it's like Old West or, or Cowboy or Cowboy Movies or something. There was some silly, I forget the suggestion. And uh, David Bloom and you uh, were going to start the scene. You were going to be the sheriff. And uh, David Bloom was going to be in the, in prison, and that's all I knew. That's all everybody knew. And like, we're going to be cowboys or something, you know. So Brian Doyle Murray huddles us up, the remainder of us. And he goes, "I got an idea. Listen, listen. When uh, when David Bloom says something like, hey, uh, uh, we were a mob. We were going to hang him.' He goes, "Hey, if he says something like, hey, we can't take the law in your own hands.'" And, and Brian goes, "What if we all do this? We all just stop. We just freeze, look at each other, and go, yeah, you're right. And then we just leave and say, let's pimp them. Let's really pimp them.' <laughs> it was, and in his mind, looking back, it was like it would be more fun to see the reaction of someone. Okay, boom. So the thing is like." Hey, 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 he's like, hey, can't. Well, sure, I'll string him up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, uh, we, 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 the audience went insane. <laughs> and it became an instant blackout that we that they did in the next show. Yeah. I remember that. You can't take the law on your own hands. Yeah, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> and you all left. <laughs> Did, you, did we? Didn't you do Elephant Stampede with me? That suggestion. Yes. Yes. And uh, we had a suggestion from the audience, and it said Elephant Stampede. We had no idea. <laughs> we had no idea what to do, so we threw every prop backstage out on <laughs> out on the stage and just laid there, going, "Oh, what was that?" Uh, uh, <laughs> stomach is killing me. <laughs> Man, what the hell was that? Yeah, I don't know. Yes, uh, Ian, we had great times. <laughs> I used to try to play a game because I wanted to do this when I was in high school. This was like what I wanted to do, Second City. I used to turn the TV on. This is when you had like 38 channels on cable. Go to, from channel 2 to 38 and 
try to say something funny about what I was watching, about what was on, and then go all the way through and not stop. And that's how I try to train my mind to do that. That's a very cool. Very yeah, cool. No, it, it, that's an intriguing way to do it. <laughs> uh, our, our good friend Frank Welker, who uh, was a voice on a, on a show that uh, Fisher and I co-created with Howie Mandel, Bobby's World, Frank was the voice of like the dog and any other little secondary character we would do. But he would do this thing where he turned the television on, turned the volume all the way down, and then he would dub. And he could match the movement of the mouth. And it looked like, yeah, they're saying that and the pausing and everything. And he would just, it was total lunacy. It was very, very funny. That's really an art, an art form. And that was live on stage. Mm. Yes. I should point that out at the Comedy Magic Club in her master. Okay, so when, Fish, when you were still at uh, Second City with that, and Jim hasn't uh, gone on yet, you did you did an episode of Playboy After Dark. Do you remember that? No, I, I don't. I think somehow that was misrepresented. I think that was the Steinberg cast. Okay. Because I've seen that on credits, and I'm going, I don't remember us. I do remember going to the Playboy Club in Chicago with Flaherty, but um, no, it was it was the older cast. Okay. Uh, it was before us, yeah. But you did you were in the company of Moon, when they did Moon Children, both of you or just you? That was me. Okay. That was I was in the cast. Um, yeah, before just before I did Second City, um, there was some a summer stock company, um, the Academy Playhouse in Lake Forest, Illinois, and uh, every they they did a uh, wonderful productions in this large, it was almost like a five hundred seat equity house. So again, it's like, hey, I'm getting paid. And uh, we did uh, Moon Children. It was very well received. Fun. Okay. Jim Stahl could act. I <laughs> couldn't. <laughs> Pretending. <laughs> like watching John Lovitz. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so then you, Tino and Sana, and you, both of you and Tino and Sana, because I can't say Jim and Jim, right? So, um, you formed a comedy trio called The Graduates. So I'm guessing you gra- you graduated from Second City. Is that what the... Well, this was, this was Fisher's idea, and it very cleverly came out of uh, his circumstances at Second City. It was, right, were you, you, were you still kind of recuperating, Fish? Or were you planning uh, what you wanted? Yeah, well, part of when I was recuperating from the mono, and Bernie said, I can't pay you for doing nothing, I started uh, their corporate comedy department way back then and started doing all kinds of industrials. And that's when I enlisted Jim and Tino to do a couple of them with me and we worked so well together. I guess I enticed you guys <laughs> to, to be a comedy trio. And, and to, to, to kind of like, um, uh, highlight that more, uh, Fisher was very enterprising in that he approached, he himself approached 
these different businesses and corporations in Chicago, because as you know, Chicago is a big hub for Fortune 500 companies. And uh, Fisher would go in the front door there and pitch the idea of saying, what about your sales training? You know, bring comedy to it. And I, I don't know the, the, the exact pitch that Fish used, but he talked to enough people. I remember one show for the phone company um, where, it, and it, it was, we also had, besides Tino, uh, Ryan Doyle Murray and Eugenie Ross Lemming uh, in our group. And then later, I remember one where we did a big sales show with, with again, with Eugenie and um, uh, Tino and I and you. Uh, so, so then, so it's interesting, it's in the city, it's like you hit a certain point where it's fun, it's fun, it's fun. And then you start going like, is there, what's next? You know, am I going to like, just sort of leave? Or am I going to try something, um, see what else I can do and what else I can create? And I, I like Fisher, was a big believer in if you had to make your own work, you had to generate your own work. If you couldn't generate your own work, you're going to have trouble in showbiz. Um, so to, to that end, when Fisher said, you know, hey, we break in this thing, hey, do you want to form a company? And that was sort of when we had just finished opening a show, we were done with another show, and Tino and I, people were going to be leaving. David Rashi was going to be leaving to do this silly show, Sexual Perversity in Chicago with this new playwright, David Mamet, who <laughs> people thought, oh, this who's this Mamet kid? Mamet kid who was a, wasn't he a dishwasher in Second City? He was also a played piano for the touring company. Oh, okay. Well, but um, anyway, uh, surely I jest. Uh, so David did the show. So he was leaving. So, you know, I, I don't know. So, we both said, Fisher said, you want to do this thing? And, oh, okay. What does it mean? Well, we'll do these these industrial shows to make money, and then we'll work on an act. He said, Fisher said, you have been funny duos who have left Second City. Nichols and May, Burns and Shriver. What about three guys? <laughs> and it was like, well, that makes no sense. But I'm like, <laughs> so... So we got together and we did, and the shows, the, the, the training shows, the industrial shows, I think it was first worked with uh, this big PR company, Burson Marsteller, that was bought out by Y&R, Young and... Rubicam? Yeah. Rubicam? And uh, they were so big, uh, we would do these trade shows fly us to Boca Raton or to Vegas. I mean, all these wonderful vacation places and we would be there for a week and we'd be doing these training shows and we would do some smaller ones too for the regional markets, but it was making a lot of money. And then with that, we were working on material to do for a live show. And in our 
mind, I guess we initially thought, hey, we'll we'll take the material that we like and stuff that we did. And there was so many great scenes and short scenes that Fisher had created. Um, and so we went and we worked up new ideas. And then we thought, you know, initially we thought, hey, we'll just recreate Second City in a nightclub. And when did Chuck Lachon come on board? Was that after uh, Orphans, or was he really soon to the scene? Uh, after Orphans, but before Pickle Bills, because of the infamous, we're going to do an album and record you live, and it was Lobster Cracking Night. Oh, yeah. That's another story. So anyway, so we did this. There was this wonderful club in Chicago called Orphans. It was probably near Lincoln and I'm going to say Belmont, would you say fish? Um, it, it, it's, it was in the, the Newtown area of Chicago and big bar in the front, but in the back room, they had this like small stage and they would do anything in the back room. They would have another big band be back there or they did under Milkwood there once a year and people loved it. Um, so he said, yeah, you guys, hey, I love Second City. Come on in, do your thing. Uh, we also did a thing uptown near Cubs Stadium. What was that place in the basement? Um, oh. That we also worked out. Um, on my yeah. But anyway, the, this little club that this guy was in the basement of this building and it was a decent sized club and he said, oh, I love you guys. So we would improvise there and try to work out new material. And then we would do a show at Orphans and work on material. And then we met this guy, Chuck LaShawn, who had a recording studio. He was, uh, I guess, an engineer, owned the company. His partner invented the Moog synthesizer. Do you remember? Something, yeah, something like that. Um, and so he had a lot of money and, and Chuck was a character. Now he's no longer with us, so we can malign him. <laughs> um, he was a bullshit artist, but a very good one. He could really, he was so good at it, but he had great instincts and he was trying to compare in his mind. He knew the music business and how an artist can relate to the audience and you had to do it one on one, and you had to have you had to have control of those mics because he said the big problem that we, that we would have is if you're in a nightclub, if you can't punch through, that audience is just you're going to lose them. You're going to lose them. You're going to be in trouble. So he said to us, and he said, look, if you're going to get ready for television, you're going to have to be more presentational be more presentational. So in our mind, we were like going, huh? how does this work? So we, Fisher somehow got three microphones and three microphone stands. And because um, what would happen was we would be in a nightclub and you'd have the band, you know, overpowering the audience. And then the music would go away. And now here's these three guys. And then it's like, oh, welcome to the <laughs> So we had to punch through. So we had to re 
do material. Because when you're at Second City, as you know, if there's something physical, you can't just do something and then be holding a mic and you have to figure out where does the mic go and how do you do it? And it was, it was absolutely fascinating the transition that we did and it really got us ready uh, to come to Los Angeles. So what he did was he set up a gig for us in uh, Cleveland to be there for a year. <laughs> at Pickle Bills on the, what's the river there in the middle of Cleveland that caught fire. Uh, so we were right there in the boat district and this dinner theater. And again, we had plenty of time to hone our craft, strop this material, get it really good and short and tight. Cause again, he said he wanted to do an album. So in our mind, we were thinking to our, okay, an album that's short pieces and getting it down, getting it down. Um, so after Cleveland and things fell apart with LaShawn, we thought, well, let's come out to Los Angeles. So we signed with Jimmy. Um, I want to say Jimmy Richards was, uh, was it Jimmy, Jimmy Richards? He was, Jimmy was, uh, an agent in Chicago, primarily booking talent. Uh, for live shows. I mean, it, when I think of Jimmy, he's, he's like, one of his biggest clients was this guy who did sound effects. And he was a, in big demand for shows or business meetings or whatever. He was fun. He did sound effects. But uh, so he agreed to take us on and to be our agent. And he mentioned, oh, I know this. I know Mitzi Shore in Los Angeles, she owns the comedy store. Can you hold, I'm sorry, one thing I forgot. So we did, uh, so Jimmy got us out, we, when we came out, because we, we thought, right, Fish, we're, we're thinking like, we'll try to find these different clubs and try to perform in the clubs that were happening out here in California. And Jimmy got us in touch with Mitzi. She put us on on a Monday, which is you always have to do. Anybody, any comic, she didn't care whether you were doing open mic and you just sign up and she doesn't know who the hell you are. Or if, you know, CAA themselves called and said, hey, I want somebody, I want you to put, she puts you on Monday night. So we got a prime slot on Monday night. Um, and we did our 20 minutes and we were really tight and right away she said, Oh, you guys were great. I'm going to book you guys. Um, and back then when you, when being booked at the comedy store meant you were allowed to perform during prime time on the weekends and during the week for free. <laughs> but, the, but the trade out was there actually was casting agents and there were uh other producers in the audience watching the show and then that's how we got signed to the william morris agency um and almost immediately mitzi loved us so much she said oh i know the booker for the merv griffin show i 
I want to bring, was that Don? Was his name Don? Yeah. Don in. And uh, that was actually our first television gig was our opportunity to play the Merv Griffin show. And, you know, we would do our six and a half minutes. Boy, they would like, you know, guys, come on. Guys. <laughs> Bit tight, you know. And we would do our material and then we'd go, that was great. We got paid. And then we'd go, okay, we got to think of something for, I want you guys to come back. Oh, we got to do something else. So we would go to the clubs and we'd rehearse and we'd write and we'd try it out and then we'd get the next six and a half minutes. <laughs> but uh, remember, he kind of kept us alive because he would, he'd book us to be on at the end of the show. And if any guests went long, we got bumped. You got paid got too. Paid. Yeah. Yes, I remember the first time because Marvin Hamlish went long with Merv. Ooh. And we're going like, oh no, we're not going to be on. And I told my mom to watch for the show, you know. And I, we were like, oh no, I'm not going to get paid. You know, what's going to happen? So then when Don came backstage and he said, uh, in the green room, he said, oh, you guys are going to be bumped. Sorry, but you'll get paid. <laughs> You can use that same material when we bring you back. We'll bring you back in X number of weeks. So we were like, oh, yes, I like show business. Paid <laughs> <Eight> to wait. <laughs> that was great. As it turned out, those clips from the Merv Griffin show, they would, when we would do college campuses, they would play some of those to promote the show, as I remember. It was good to promote it on the one hand. It was bad on the other hand because I went, oh, no, you ruined the punchline for that. <laughs> so eventually you actually you got to uh, be on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, but Johnny Carson wasn't there. Yes, and it also was election night. Yes. <laughs> and so everybody we told to watch us, they would keep delaying the show for the election results. And I forgot. Yeah. So all the Chicago people, I forgot how late it came on. Yeah. Do you yeah, remember? It was, it was late. Do you remember what but, you did or no? Pardon? Do you remember what you did? Yeah, I think we did. Um, um, like Sam bought the airport and mm -hmm. uh, probably. Uh, our impression of construction workers, <laughs> our apology for construction worker impression. Probably might have done the dentist thing. I think Don't we, we did. Did. Oh, did. We did the mime thing. Because we did this funny scene where we would, we came out and we were doing like mime, you know, and like we would say, uh, yeah, everyone hates mimes. They're sucky, you know, people are stupid because. Uh, mimes don't do anything really cool. So we said, what about, you know, two linebackers blitzing a quarterback? <laughs> and then, it, uh, so then we did this whole thing with the announcer and whatever. And it was very clever. We flipped Fisher and beat him up in slow motion. <laughs> and backwards. And backwards. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's some of the songs that we did. And yeah, you did Don um, Kirshner's rock concert uh, with, right. with Kiss. So that must have been crazy atmosphere right there. Uh, Absolutely, that was crazy. And we also did uh, the Roxy. 
or was it was it the Roxy or the, what was the other club right now? Troubadour. Troubadour. When Heart was there, we were the opening act um, doing shtick. That was crazy. Well, I <laughs> remember we opened for that rock group, Mother's Finest. Have you heard of Mother's Finest? I've never heard of Mother's Finest. Mother's Finest. This this big um, uh, kind of soul rock. Uh, Rock and roll, crazy uh, African American guys, and we were in this giant theater, and it was madness because they wanted to have Mother's Finest come out, you know. And we would try to, we had the mics, and we're trying to punch through, we're trying to keep. Look, we're like, oh, we're, we got to do our set, you know. <laughs> so finally, we just kind of turned each other, say, ah, oh, we give up, go to the ending. So we cut to the end of what we did and we ended on a big finish and then we, we leave stage. And, and one of the, like the lead singer, remember him saying to us, hey, you guys were better than anybody that opened for us. You want to go on tour? <laughs> no, we were not. No, this was brutal. It was, well, what we cut to is you did, you did your Billy Graham and boy, that, that they got into that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what made it work. Yeah, you're right. But it was very close. It was a Billy Crystal's bit about with the people chanting, Mother's Finest. Yeah, are you Mother's Finest? No. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're dead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then you worked twice with um, uh, the guy from Laugh In, the guy, George Slaughter, uh, the Great American yeah. Laugh Off. So that was, yes. that was when you first met Robin Williams? Or was that we, comedy store? We actually met Robin early on at the comedy store. Uh, Missy opened a club in Westwood, so she had two clubs. And he was a regular there in Westwood, as well as in in um, in Hollywood. And uh, well, I remember after one of our sets... He came up to us and was like, oh, 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 and he started sort of parodying back our own material to us, you know. And uh, we, he was like, and he was acting like, oh, I love you, you're the best. And it was like, we're the best of friends, and I had never met him. <laughs> and so, you know, we would see him performing and, and whatever, and, uh, you know, we, we get along with him. Later, we would learn that if Robin comes up to you and compliments something that you did and then is doing an impression of what you did that means he's taking it and <laughs> making appropriating it to, to be part of something he's going to do in the future so yeah i remember him taking this one we used to do the meter yeah oh yeah. my god that's you know, funny like, because in an interview dana carvey said that Robin Williams, shortly before he died, called him up and said, oh, I'm sorry I took this from you. And Dana Carvey was like, I never did this. <laughs> that's us. Well, that was us. You know, like, oh, what do you think? Uh, and I, there was a couple spots where we, oh, I know when Fisher did it in Playlet. What do you think? Uh, you know, yeah. all right, let's change that line. Yeah. What we would do, should we do this suggestion? Uh, or that suggestion. How about this? Okay, we're gonna do that suggestion. Okay, so Tino and Son, I know from the movie Neighbors, where he plays the big guy who fixes the car. Yeah. 
So he left the uh, trio. Yes. Yes. Gino, Gino was like, you know what? Being on the road is hard. I don't want to go on the road anymore. Um, I want to stay. I want to stay in town. So we were like, oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> that's crushing. So we thought, we assumed, okay, that's going to be the it for performing. So Fisher and I huddled and, and said, well, if we can't perform, you want to try writing? You know, we could maybe do a spec script or something, see if we can work together as writers. And uh, in the meantime, uh, I think it was Mike Lacey, owner of the Comedy and Magic Club, said, well, why don't the two of you guys perform together? So we were like, well, I don't know if it's going to work because when well, we did this silly band parody, it was three of us. Gino played clarinet, you know. Uh, it's like, how do you do this with two guys, you know? Yeah. And so we sat down and we kind of noodled it for a while. We went, well, wait, if you did this, if I did that, and if I hold the mic here, when you do the thing there, you could be this. And so we slowly worked it out so that it was the two of us. And then Mike loved us so much that he put it in his club in Reno. Mm-hmm. Who, uh, uh, the the uh, comedy and magic club in Reno when they first opened. Okay. And then, and then, for, yeah. and then you wrote for uh, SCTV for nine episodes in the second season. Right. And then Big City. I'm not correct. It was the end of the first season when they were all burned out. Ah. And we got a call from Flaherty going, we need help. Right. And so there was a carryover from the end of the first into the second of the material. But uh, I guess sort of what happened was that, so then after that, we did a show with John Candy. Big City Comedy. Big City Comedy. And we found out later. We, we, we found out later that the reason why they didn't hire us back to work on SCTV is they thought, well, you guys are too tight with John. Um, that that would, that would cause, you know, like you would only be working with him or if there was any kind of question about something, you would sign with John. So it was like, uh, well, you guys were like, well, we really can't have you back. Uh, we were like, oh, well, that was a dumbass reason. <laughs> I could have talked you out of that years ago. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Big City Comedy did have um, the ex-wife of the Prime Minister of Canada as a guest star. Was yes, that... Maggie Trudeau. So was there spe- was special publicity? People behind the scene were they like the Canadian version of the Secret Service. Were they there at the um, that week or? I don't. I don't remember that, but it was. I remember it was a big deal in Canada. Yeah, it was the cover of TV Guide in Canada. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about it. Uh, I don't recall, but then again, uh, you know, we would be down there uh, at Global. I think it was uh, on the sound stage. And then we would be there, and then there was all the security to get into the backstage of the theater, in and out. And then sort of like we were so busy 
getting the scripts ready and the rehearsal and the blocking and everything, we would be there on the set. And then, you know, she would, she came in and, uh, and worked uh, with John and did some shtick and worked on some scenes. Um, so I wouldn't have noticed mm. if there were security. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like they were like backstage. Right. <laughs> you know, you're making an entrance or what are you going to be doing? Come on, mostly in the scene. No, it wasn't like that. Okay. And then you got to roll the, um, I know you for the most, Nelson Flavor on Mork and Mindy. Right. And um, did, did you had to audition for that? Of course. Um, they, uh, after the first season, they were looking to kind of change things up. I think they called it adding the youth movement in the show. Uh, so uh, Jay Thomas and Gina Hack uh, were added. The, uh, the, the Remo's Pizza was added. And, um, and then there was this part for Nelson Flavor. And uh, truth be told, um, I was not aware that there was a casting call for this role. Um, I learned from Robin Williams himself. He said, so, uh, are you audition for, for Nelson? And I was like, uh, what? And he was like, you know, Nelson's labor just a just part on, on, on the show. And so I called my agent. I said, what's the deal with this uh, Nelson flavor character being at, they want to add that for Mark and Minnie and, and my agent, I don't, was it Barbara Roman? I don't know. I can't remember what it was. Said, no, no, uh, don't do it. We don't want you to do that part uh, because the, the character of Nelson flavor, he's an asshole. <laughs> Something like that. It's like, uh, so I'm going, uh, I'm not really working, <laughs> looking for a gig. So I defied my agent and uh, I told Robin that I was going to go in. I saw him on Monday night and I was going to go in the next morning, next day to, to audition. And uh, so I, I'm reading, I'm on cam uh, the cameras there and I'm reading with the script supervisor Casting actually was casting person and, and I'm doing my lines and all of a sudden, boom, Robin bursts onto the scene and he interrupts the audition and he starts improvising with me and uh, it totally threw me. Uh, and I was like, Robin, this is my life. What are you doing? And so we, <laughs> and so we just started uh, improvising and you know how Robin is. He just goes and you just kind of go with him. And so that was my audition, and uh, somehow I got the part uh, uh, with uh, Bruce. Uh, I'm trying to remember about the original producer to the show. Anyway. And then the second season you were on, they tried to make you nicer. Yes. They tried to make you less of an asshole. <laughs> I want Jim to leave the show. I don't like his character. So they said, all right, we'll make Nelson nicer. Uh, so... Whatever. But you wrote an episode together. I heard it through the Mork Vine. And it's the only episode that features every single cast member. It, it's a, a popular one on on, uh, on the Mork and Mindy fan pages. Because every character is in that episode. Well, and, and that was the... 
that was the like National Enquirer kind of story. Yeah, uh, uh, Foster Brooks makes Mindy yeah. do a uh, tell-all show, and he just tells stories about. Now, what's intriguing about that is is that Fisher and I actually came in uh, to pitch ideas to write for the show at the very beginning of the second season. And we pitched several ideas that had to do with the press and National Choir and everything. And we were waiting for the green light on one of those ideas. And then we noticed, gee, uh, see that episode? That's sort of half of that one idea we pitched. And so that's like the other half of another idea we pitched. And we're thinking like, I guess maybe this isn't going to happen. And then they finally said, oh, okay, you know, we're behind schedule. Come on in. Let's do your story. And that's why it's story by and then written by? Well, the reason for that was they said, well, we are so short on time. We only have a week to get this up and to green light it and, and to put it in front of the camera. Would it be okay with you if we have it written in house? Because our uh, Osborne was it Osborne's name? Was that Reno and Osborne, right? Reno and Osborne. Oh, okay. So yeah, I haven't totally forgotten everybody. So that they would write it, and it would be tabled and done all uh, everything in house. And so you know, what are you going to do? You're going to say no, don't do it. <laughs> so we said yes, and uh, but they changed the ending that I think would have made the story better. Because we had a, a big old slow motion, Mork had done this thing, and I have to go back and dig up our original script, but they cut that for time. But anyway, that's another story. That was fun. I do remember still coming to the set, and I think you brought me, and then I, and we said hi to Robin, and that's when Jonathan Winters was there, and Robin and Jonathan just started. Wacky improvising, you remember? They're like, oh, I made the ball. They start doing this football thing. <laughs> I just remember going, what's going on? These two guys are just blah, 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 blah. It was an amazing. I remember <laughs> we visited. <laughs> Johnny's doing the show. And uh, uh, the stage manager walks in because in places, and everyone goes in to get on stage except for Jonathan. And he's over. Still talking to me, and I'm like, oh, hey, the must fresh fruit into the thing, you know. And he's doing all this, and finally the stage manager just comes over and he goes like, Jim, could you help Jonathan get on the stage? So I just said, Captain, I think there's a there's a mutiny brewing in the brain. something that you need to reconnoiter. Yes, mutiny, men, and so I walk him. It's like you, from the stories I've heard you tell, it's like you speak English and their language. And then the people on the show are like, okay, we'll talk to Jim because he speaks both. And he'll go and tell them what to do. <laughs> Odd set, but very true. Very uh, true. What was Tom Poston like to work with? I've heard nothing but good things. I don't. Not if, if you have nothing. If there's nothing you want to say. Oh, he was really nice. Uh, <laughs> very um, actually, yes, really nice. Uh, I love the fact that right. Tom used to work for Steve Allen, right? 
And Fisher and I wrote a Christine Allen. Which which iteration of his show? Um, it was oh, the, the Sunday Spectacular, wasn't that the name? Yeah, yeah, the Sunday Spectacular. And we had done another, there was another pilot. We had done a couple pilots with with Steve Allen. And and then uh, something wouldn't happen, so we wouldn't continue with the series. But I thought it was called The Sunday Spectacular or The Big Show or the something big, silly. Or the Big Event? The Big Event. The Big Show. NBC um, had a show called The Big Show around, around yeah. 1980. So that's probably what it was. So, and, and it was fun to hear, uh, you know, Tom uh, collaborate some of the silly stories and antics from the old Steve Allen show, talking about Louis Nye. Because um, that was like, as Steve Allen told Fisher and I, he said, the reason why I deliberately under, underline key words in, uh, in the material, started back with working with Louis Nye, because Louis would read something and he, he didn't get the joke. So he would underline word hit this word and that one and then you oh that's funny <laughs> oh man um, and the other person I'm a, I'm a big fan of Jay Thomas I thought he was really funny I I know sometimes he says things that got him fired off cheers but um. He told yeah. a story about when he was on Mork and Mindy in the third season, they cut his um, time on the show, but they kept paying him in order to get him to quit. And he's like, wait, 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 I have to do less, and you still pay me the same. Yeah. I'm yeah. not leaving. They had this thing, it's called, it's called pay or play, and uh, they could, their options, like, for example, if they said, we're going to hire you for 10 out of 13, uh, for this pickup, you're guaranteed 10 paychecks out of 13 episodes. However, you're not guaranteed to be on camera for 10, those 10 shows. And they, if they want to write you out, they, they would write you out. And then you'd go like, okay, and my, when my mom watches next week, she's not going to see me. <laughs> so I, I see a point. Uh, yeah, Jay, funny guy. We, we hung out a lot. Uh, I, I came this close to being his roommate in uh, Malibu. We were, we were looking for a place, and uh, he, he had this apartment, and I was going to be his roommate in Malibu. And then I went, wait a minute, Jay, how long is the commute from here to Paramount Studios? He goes, oh, it's only about 55 minutes. Easy. I'm going, 55 minutes? What if there's graphic or something you know you can be on the, on the road the whole time you know so i said let me let me think about this jay so i decided not to be his roommate and uh i got a place in hollywood so okay uh, a couple of things i just want to mention the marie show could Stu christman told me a funny story i don't know if you guys remember it uh about thanksgiving they a new producer was hired the Day before Thanksgiving, he had a flight to catch. He said, I have to go to the bathroom. He didn't come back until uh, the Monday after Thanksgiving. And as he walked past the producer, he zipped his fly up and said, it was a long one. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> that, that 
had to be uh, that had to be uh, what's his silly uh, that he's directing now a lot. Um, oh come on, it was uh, see because he was partnered with Pat Proft, wasn't he? Um, but that, Neil Israel. Okay, that was that was probably Neil Israel, who was a funny. Also twisted human being, but very funny guy, very you know, very sweet guy, but also wonderfully twisted. Uh, he like Jay was had this capacity to say inappropriate stuff to get a laugh. Uh, uh, but Jay was more like going for the jugular. I learned the hard way that Jay is a bad drunk, and uh, Jay shortly after Mark and Mindy just decided. To, to be, you know, not drink at all. Sort of like Howie Mandel. He just decided, I'm not going to drink at all. Because um, Jay would get, he would drink, and the more he drank, he would become more and more hostile. To, to the point where we were at this party, this big party, and he's like strangling me. <laughs> I'm like, Jay, Jay, what the hell? How much have you been drinking? What the hell's going on? Um so he apologized. He goes, "Oh yeah, I, I shouldn't drink. I shouldn't drink." So he's—I think he did stop. And remember, Fisher Howie, we very early on, we were doing laugh tracks. We went to this restaurant, and Howie was celebrating his wife's birthday, and they were having a little wine, and they had a couple of sips, and suddenly Howie's face got redder and redder, and. And then he kind of, he was kind of laughing like, yeah, that's, I, I can't drink. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm allergic to alcohol or whatever. It, it affects me in a weird way. And so again, another uh, wonderfully funny human being who just said, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to drink anymore. Okay. Oh, I was talking about that. Remember on the, the Marie show, all I remember was us singing hot chocolate to the dun, 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 dun. Yeah, hot chocolate because they they couldn't drink the Mormons couldn't drink chocolate as I recall. Because uh, we brought this very funny sketch about uh, the food taster, food taster, and it was a very it was a fun nice. We had a lot of people in the in the scene. And it was very funny, and. One of the jokes, probably one of the payoffs, was taking a sip of the wine, and then there'd be a spritz take because someone said, "Wait, I didn't taste that," or, or what? I forget. <laughs> well, it was the the wine taster kept trying to find reasons not to taste the food, fearing it was poisoned. Right. Well, everything was like, "Good wine taster, taste this wine." Oh, oh, I don't think I can. Yeah, and that was the. Bit for Marie to play, but <laughs> then he said to us, "Well, wait. We were we were on the set, and they said, wait, stop. Um, the wine taster. Wait, is that wine in the glasses? Well, you know, it's going to be lemonade or something. No, no, no. In the scene, do you reference wine? And we said, well, yeah, this is the Middle Ages. You know, well, we can't do it because Mormons don't uh, drink alcohol. And I do recall saying to them, yeah, but." If you recall, this takes place before Mormonism had been invented. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't exist yet. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> they would not go for it. Chris Kluse. 
and Stu Kreisman were great at practical jokes. Um, we knew this because they pulled one on me that I thought was classic. Stu went to my, went to our door, because we had our little, each of us had our writer's room down the basement of NBC, and he would knock on the door and then run away. And then I opened the door and I, you know, and then a little later, there'd be a knock on the door. And then maybe some a piece of paper was pushed under the door. It's like, what the heck? You know, and I closed the door. A few moments later, knock at the door. I open the door and I get, damn it. And I look up and there is Chris Kloos and Stu Kreisman with a group of people. They had commandeered the tour for the <laughs> studios, and they said, okay, and this is the writer's room for Jim Stahl and Jim Fisher. Jim Stahl, you recognize him from Mark and Mindy? <laughs> and we're like, oh, I'm not to swear, but he's like, oh, damn it. <laughs> he's really a nice guy. See what a great guy he is. And I was like, oh, brother. That's that was some of the... Chris and Stu, yes, great guys. We're still in touch. The other day, his episode um, was maybe my best. It's the funniest one because he has so many stories. Uh, this is a great episode right now, I think. Well, but we're gonna go downhill from here. I'm telling you. <laughs> okay. Um, the other night, I watched Twilight Theater because it's on YouTube. Oh wow! With the original commercial, somebody taped it. And put it on there. I got the original commercials and everything. Um, it was supposed to be in case the new Saturday Night Live with Michael O'Donoghue didn't work out. Then this show would air. Yep, that, that was the idea. But there were so many guest stars. How would the how would they have been able to do that? Oh, whatever. They did yeah. two. Uh, I think. I think they did two or one. Now, which show? Now, remind me of the show again. Twilight Theater. It was uh, Steve Twilight. Martin. Steve yeah, Martin. because we did... No, no, no. We did... We started Twilight Theater in the summer. And it was with... Uh, Steve Martin was the host. And I thought we had done four shows or something. It was one of those classic summer replacement shows. And if it was if it would work, you know they would they would keep going. Um, and yeah, you're right. Uh, it uh, wasn't the host. I thought the host was Roddy McDowell. Roddy, yeah. Oh yeah. That, that's when we got to meet Steve Martin and ride around in the parking lot of uh, the L.A. No, no, uh, Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl, yeah. That was, we've written this, they've written that scene about the guy listening to the radio. That's what I was going to ask you about. Yeah. What was crazy about that is, so Steve was the producer, exec producer, probably with, was it Neil and Pat again? I don't remember. Yeah, it was Neil, yeah, Neil and Pat. And, um, and, Steve, and Steve Martin said, well, I'm really not going to, do any of the sketches, you know, it's going to be Roddy. It's going to be all these other sketch actors and we're going to have other, you know, cameo people. 
but I just, uh, I'm not going to do be in any of the sketches. And then he would give approval, final approval of some of the sketches. And when he read that one sketch of ours, he goes, Oh, this is funny. I'll do this one. <laughs> yeah. And then he did another one. I thought he did at least two of ours. I thought, um, Try to remember the other one, but anyway, he's like, I'll, "I'll do that one." <laughs> yeah, I watched it the other night because it's on YouTube. I can give you the link if you guys want. But um, yeah, I, I would love to get the link. And I just remember that the, the snorting laugh. <laughs> remember, and my yeah. husband, yeah. when he laughs, he makes it sound like a pig, and he's going, "Listen to that." <laughs> yes. And how good of how... the payoff was, and I'm sleeping with all the guys in this car. That was it. She mentions you first, uh, Fish, and you're like sheepishly looking from side to side, and then I had one of my one of my rare on camera appearances. And then uh, Jim's in the back with uh, Pat Prof. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, yeah you're right. There's a fourth guy, watch. and they're looking at each other like, "Oh, I just dodged a bullet." And then she says, "But I'm sleeping with everybody." <laughs> But I, all I remember is he would ride around the parking lot with Steve, and he would he pointed people, members to him, and he'd make up these funny stories about who they were, their background. Yes. He was he was hilarious. He was like, "Yeah, I'm just here to get something. I guess I missed the big sale today every weekend." He was, God, he was funny. I met him. I met him years later. He came to Indianapolis, and I met him when they did the. the uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short show, and I reminded him that, and he said he remembered it. And I said, well, we met before. I had tickets That's to it, but it was canceled due to the coronavirus. Oh, rats. Oh. Years later, uh, now, see, Marty Short and Robin and uh, Sherry Eichen, Taylor Negron, uh, who else? We were in the comedy store players together, and Marty would be in and out uh, of the show. And we had met Marty through Second City in Toronto. And Marty was doing the producers here in Los Angeles. And I had gone to the show with my wife because it was our anniversary. And I just, I said, I'll, I'll send a note with the usher, you know. Just for the hell of it, say hi. It's Marty. It's Jim Stahl. It's my wife and I. Anniversary. Great show. So he delivers this thing. Uh, Usher comes back. And says, "Hey, Marty wants to say hi. Come to the stage door." So we're back there at the stage door, and we're waiting and waiting. And certain the Usher comes out. And he takes these people, and he's taking those people and other people. And we're like waiting, like, did he just him us? What's going on here? Finally. He lets my wife and I back into the Pantages backstage and we come in. Marty has now, he's wearing like a Hugh Hefner kind of, you know, a robe, you know, he's very, a silk, you know, bathrobe thing and very dapper. He says, come on in. And on ice, he has champagne. And he says, happy anniversary. And we sit down and we talk. And he introduces us to the other cast members and everything. We had a lovely, a lovely chat and uh, talked about and his brother. Now his brother is a very good Mike writer. Short, yeah. Right. Very good writer. So anyway, another mensch. So the two of them together. Great guys. Very great. I uh 
actually saw him. The only time I went to L.A. in my life, I was on Rodeo Drive, stopped at a light, and he was running across the street. And he starts walking, and then he realizes he's not going to make it. He starts running, and then it's, like, weird, because I guess he realized he was Martin Short. So then he just starts running funny. <laughs> just so if it was anybody, hey, it's Martin Short. Why is he doing that Martin Short, Ed Grimley run? Yeah. Like, trying not to get hit by a car, but... Yeah, he starts doing that, and I'm like, okay, I guess that was for any tourists who happen to be. All right, so laugh tracks. I I saw there's one there's one on the on YouTube as well, hosted by Fred Willard. Very good, uh, boy. That was a fun show because uh, we got uh, we got Howie Mandel uh, to do our show. At the same time, he was doing St. Elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And we had our sponsors browbeat NBC into allowing it to happen. Because <laughs> they were like, wait, he's one of our stars. You can't have him do two shows. And then they were like, yeah, well, we're a sponsor. I'm going to bring the sponsors on, uh, on board here. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, so much fun to do that show, uh, the antics with Howie. Um, uh, and uh, he, uh, Remember, Fish, he got into having uh, that little machine, that little, that little fart machine, you know? And uh, he would, we would be like uh, setting up somewhere and there'd be people milling about, getting, getting ready. So we were always shooting guerrilla style for that show, by the way. <laughs> a lot of times we would, do you have a permit? No. We're doing about 20 minutes. <laughs> well, how we would go up to somebody, be standing by somebody, and you know, he would do it, and he would look at them, and they would. I remember that one time, went to this couple, this older couple, and he ah, does a thing, and the wife smacks her husband and goes, "How rude! Please." <laughs> um, also, he also did. There was a family sitting there, and the kids would keep laughing. Yes. The parents were like, "Stop laughing!" Yeah, one of the sketches I saw that was really funny is Fish is also. In the sketch, he plays a catatonic, and he's your brother. <laughs> and you're at a bar, and Fred Willard comes down. He's upset about his wife or whatever, and he talks. He talks for like three minutes, not no realizing he's catatonic, and he's like, "Your brother's a great listener," and <laughs> and you're like, "But he doesn't pick up a drink. He's so cheap," and you're like. Well, he's catatonic. I don't care what he does in the privacy of his own home. <laughs> he's Fred, cheap. Funny guy. Funny guy. He was fun working with Fred. You worked with him uh, like three times at least. Yes. On Big City Comedy. Uh, Big City Comedy. Marie. Um, he did Marie. Right. Uh, and, it, and again, he was like, you know, just, he was a funny guy and he would like bring it, bring the energy up. Um, great working with him um and then years later uh i would actually i worked with him and his wife in uh a group called the mohos uh <laughs> company group and like one of our writers uh tishon uh was a writer on saturday night live we have guys that wrote for oh tishon um, shannon tishon shannon yeah okay. uh, and Every Monday we would work on sketches and Fred would be there and a funny, funny, funny guy. And it's a shame that we, we lost Fred. 
just recently, and he he will be missed because we need more funny in the world. Yeah, less. more funny. Um. Yeah. So what's, what's silly okay. incident? I remember on on uh, laugh tracks. I mean, there was just so many. It's like a blur. But I was doing that character Billy Rock, um, who I remember uh, he would write it to like Billy Rock to talk about. The answer to your problem is not drugs, it's rock and roll. And so I was, and we had this live crowd, and I'm doing the thing, and I'm going right on in it. And I get, remember, I get to this one part when I said, like, now my friends, I do this whole, I'm doing this whole logic thing, and then I said, do you do drugs? <clears throat> and they go, yeah! And they're like, oh, I'm crazy. And I go, no! No, you don't do drugs. You do rock and roll. I go, oh, yeah, rock and roll. Well, we got a big kerfluffle started. The uh, our the, the, uh, the network came back to us and said, oh, uh, that, where you said, do you do drugs? And they go, yes. <laughs> uh, they said, we have to cut that. And then we we're like, oh, but that's funny. That wasn't written. That was spontaneous. I can't control the crowd. So they said, we will let it go. But you cannot sweeten the laugh, <laughs> and I'm thinking we don't have to. <laughs> yeah, so huge. we're going with the thing. So that was every episode of Fridays. Yeah, they would just mis- they would just mention drugs and yeah. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so um, yeah, oh, Gil Mathias, uh, very uh, talented woman. Very talented, Gaylene. Um, Lucy Webb. She, yeah, former Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. person. Uh, and uh, I just loved her her Valley Girl thing. Yeah. It was so uh, amazing. And, and to think about, she was doing the Valley Girl based on, I can't write it, what was going on in Sioux Falls. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> and Lucy Webb, who was one, they were a wonderful duo. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, it was weird. Like, Lorraine Newman also had a Valley Girl character, but Lorraine Newman was from LA. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Jim's right that, that Gales was really based on, like, Sioux Falls. I, either she knew someone or that was her. And, earlier years but uh, and Gail's just a wonderful person I, uh, and just a nice person to be around now I'm trying to get her on I'm trying to get her on here but we're like going back and forth with emails well tell her that Jim's tell her she should be on <laughs> yes uh, I'm gonna oh, I'm gonna blank my camera I, I came back from the dentist mm. and uh, I don't know why I'm my nose is dry, and I'm going like, that's embarrassing. My nose is, I'm bleeding. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Here I am doing a show, <laughs> show and I'm going, what the hell? He's leaking. Well, here's my question, Ian. Yes. You're only, doing the, you're only doing the audio from this, right? Yes. You, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, we're going to teach you. see bloody nose anyway, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to. I'm gonna have to get off pretty soon too. Okay, I'll just wrap it up really quick. Um, uh, Jim Stoll was in one of my dad's favorite movies, Max Dugan Returns. Um, 
Howie Mandel live from the Carnegie Mall. That was really funny. That's also on YouTube. Uh, so I'll just send you all the YouTube links if you. And um, Sledgehammer. Okay. This is a show that came on when I was nine years old. So hysterical to me. And I watched it to get back into. And it's still funny. There's the one episode you wrote, you guys wrote, uh, To Sledge with Love, when he has to infiltrate the high school. Yes. And you say a line that with what's going on in the world today is just crazy. Uh, Sledge tells a kid one of the best parts of being a cop is that you could give the chokehold to anybody and nobody will say anything about it. Yes. And I'm like, oh, I have to ask him about that. Well, that, what was fun about that show was we would go watch a Dirty Harry movie, any, you know, Dirty Harry, one, two, three, four, five, and we would go, oh, let's, let's parody this moment, you know, oh, I like this, let's do a send up on that scene, um, but then whatever was wrong, in our minds, like, Okay, what would a policeman not do? Right. Well, he would not sleep with his gun. <laughs> uh, he would not you know, say, oh, get a real joke. But yes, and it was fun to work with uh, David Rashi. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. I followed him to Nurses, which is not a good show, but he was funny on it. Yes, yes. Uh, he's going to be on Succession, I understand. Oh, that's good. He actually was played the father in Just Married, which was wow. the, my wife and I's first date, and uh, you know, like that, so it was like two thousand and three. So I'm like, "Hey, that's Sledgehammer!" And my wife's like, "What are you talking about?" Because that was a show that was boys watched. Yes, well, wasn't the big joke that he was very popular in the South, those states, because. Everything we thought we were making fun of, they were going, yeah, that's our guy. <laughs> and he was real big in Sweden. Hmm. Yes, and, and uh, they uh, they cut a bunch of the half hours together, and they made a feature hmm. that probably aired over there in Sweden, too. So. Yeah. Okay, and um, what was the other? Oh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's a website that they review stuff. They said that your episode, Magnum Farce, is the <laughs> closest to a direct parody of the Dirty Harry movies of any episode. So they say if you yeah. want to see a good parody of Dirty Harry, watch the Magnum yeah. Farce episode of, of Sledgehammer. That was, that's true. And that was, uh, I think that was Fisher's idea. He said, wait a minute. If we look at that, and we said, we could use this, make fun of that, and do it. And like, oh, this is going to work. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, it's, was a, fun. it's a well-remembered episode. All right. And just oh, a I remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, couple of other things. Um, uh, 110 Lombard. There's one clip on there with Richard Kind and Mike Myers. Don't kid a kidder. Yeah. Did you have anything to do with that sketch? Well, that was that's interesting. That was a scene that Richard developed and what uh, and did in the show in Chicago. 
And what was interesting, oh, that was a fascinating development period. We thought, wow, we're going to be original. We're going to do great new stuff. And so we were creating new material in Toronto and in Chicago. And then we were flying back and forth and we would have rehearsal sessions and everything. And then at the last, like the last few weeks, someone thought, wait a minute. What if we tried to connect the dots of some of the existing Second City material and and do a through line? So that's where Fisher and I worked laboriously to go, okay, we'll have these guys here do this scene, and then he'll meet the dad. And then the dad does that scene, you know, with Mike. And and that was an absolutely fascinating uh, experience to take individual scenes and and make it a through line uh, in a show. And that predates the the bee in your bonnet. What was that episode, uh, that show at Second City in Chicago where they, they, they say, well, that was the first Second City show where all of the individual scenes were connected. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, something, a bee, a hat full of bees or something. Full of beans, yeah. But yeah, I think that was the pitch was we'll be able to draw on the entire library of all those years of Second City. And our yeah, Jim's right. The hard part was how can we come up with what kind of characters would allow us to explore scenes that were all you know, different scenes all over and by having them as roommates and yeah, that and that was you remember the part that was Mike Myers first on camera? Yeah. And the uh, network wanted to get rid of him. They didn't think it was very good. And we argued it's just that he's used to being a live performer. He has to get used to being on video. Uh, yeah, we so, fought. Yeah. yeah, we fought to keep him on. And like six <laughs> months later. Six months later, <laughs> he's on Saturday Night Live. But one of my favorite moments, though, was that was the opening where we had... Oh, that's right. ...narrating. And then... A second person starts narrating, and then they the narrators start arguing. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I've never heard that before, where there's multiple narrators and the narrators are arguing with each other. And guess who used it in one of his movies later on? <laughs> Mike Myers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was ours. No one. I remember we said that nobody's done a voiceover where another voiceover interrupts that voiceover. Going, wait a minute, this is my voiceover. No, I was telling the story. Yeah, uh, I forgot which of his films opens with that same gimmick. Well, if it's Love Guru, I never saw it, so then it doesn't matter. Well, now, now Pat Proft, uh, we worked with Pat Proft when um, Cheech Marin was trying to do a, a sitcom, right. and uh, and we were roaring along, working on episodes for the Cheech Marin sitcom, and then the strike happened, so everything was put on hold, and then the show died, and became, I think, a sketch show. But anyway, while we were there uh, working, uh, Fish was joking with Pat Proft about, you know, they always have the microphone on the referee at football games. And Fish, we were laughing about, yeah, what would happen? Fish says, well, what would happen? It's like the track, he leaves the mic on, he goes to the bathroom. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. and, like, and Pat goes, hey, that's funny. Naked, naked gun. Hey, he goes, can I, can I use that? And we're thinking like, oh, are we going to use it in the show? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> he used that in, in, uh, in Naked Gun. So 
I thought, well, hey, Fisher, a little asterisk there. <laughs> well, I thought you were, I thought you were going to talk about uh, that Richard Jenny thing where he's the football uh, um, official who has the midlife crisis while he has while he's blowing the whistle. I, I don't know if you ever because Leslie Nielsen is drinking all the water and drinking yeah. all the water. <laughs> yeah. And he did it on The no. Simpsons, too. But all right. All right uh, thank you guys for coming. I know that uh, for spending some of your time with me. Um, good luck when the uh, world opens on getting things done. And, and I uh, know that you're going to edit out all the boring parts, but it's very nice meeting you and and uh, getting to know uh, uh, what shtick, what, remembering all the shtick that we had done in those 